0: The dark days are done, and the bright days are here, my sunny one shines so sincere, sunny one so true. Our next guest is one of those rare talents who has something to say and can say it funny. He's a writer-performer on The New Laugh-In and one of the most popular, outspoken, and entertaining personalities on the local news here in Los Angeles. He's won a half a dozen Emmys as a film critic and host of his own shows. Let's welcome Mr. John Barber, right over there. Thank you, thank you, thank you. This is John Barber, and that was Sarita singing Sonny and Frank Sinatra singing Here's Johnny the night he hosted The Tonight Show. This is going to be a very unusual show for me for a number of reasons. First of all, it's the first time I have ever had a guest on for one full hour. It's also the first time since Joe Satilli became my sidekick that I'm doing a show without him, regretfully. The reason being, this is a special live show for rebroadcasts, and he has some serious business to attend to today. I am live now on the 1st of June for a rebroadcast, June the 25th at 5 p.m. As I speak, for the first time in its history, Las Vegas is known for something other than gambling. Hockey! The sports history-making Las Vegas Golden Knights, in their first season, are playing in the Stanley Cup Finals, against the Washington Capitals. Today, June the 1st, they're tied a game apiece in the best of seven series. As most of you know, the Las Vegas team is made up of a bunch of reject underdogs, something I can certainly identify with. As such, and living here, I should be rooting for these underdogs, but I'm not. I'm rooting for Alex Ovechkin, in the Washington Capitals. As a kid, when there were only just six teams, I saw all the greats, Rocket Richard, Gordie Howe, Bobby Orr, Wayne Gretzky, but no player in history has ever played with the power and the passion of Alex Ovechkin and his mother <laughs> negotiated his first contract. So when this reairs on the 25th, the results will be known. Right now, they are unknown, which brings me to the theme of this show, the unknown. In Hamlet, he says to Horatio, quote, there are things in heaven and earth, Horatio, that are unknown in your philosophies, unquote. The unknown I'm talking about, to me at least, is UFOs. Three of the very brightest people I know are deep believers in UFOs. George Knapp, the Sunday night host of Coast to Coast and by far the better host. Jeff Rents, one of the most listened to internet shows in the world. And my genius closest friend and computer guru, David Lispy, without whom I'd have no website. I have read, like you, probably scores of books and watched hundreds of videos on the subject. And for some reason, I just cannot get my head wrapped around it. But just over a month ago, I had lunch at Maggiano's here in town with Lorian Fenton, who produces along with JFK conferences, some of the most successful, well-attended UFO conferences on the continent. Her guest at lunch is my guest now. She has... One of the most fascinating, interesting, compelling life stories I have ever heard. As you know, I'm a storyteller. I love storytellers. The one I'm best known for is that, of course, of New Orleans DA Jim Garrison in the American Media in the second assassination of President John F. Kennedy, currently a hit on Amazon. And as I say, I love other storytellers. Lorian's guest was not five minutes into her musty story when I stopped her and say, hey, hold it, wait a minute, I'm not sure I believe this stuff, but you have to say the rest of it on my show. So she agreed. So happily and informatively, here she is. Now, in all I have read in preparing for this, all I have read and since seen about this amazing woman One of the ladies who visited her in Sedona, where she is now in her apartment, waiting to talk to us, and where she also lives and works, and what wonderful, wonderful work it is. What this lady said about her when she went to Sedona on one of her trips, and I'm going to paraphrase it. It's all so amazing and weird. I don't know if I believe her, but she is so sincere and factual, I don't know how I cannot believe her. So perfectly said. So I'm thrilled to have her here to tell us, as Paul Harvey used to say, the rest of the story. Melinda Leslie, Melinda, thank you. It's such a delight to be talking to you again. How are you? And are you really in Sedona?
1: I'm really in Sedona, sitting in my apartment. And thank you, John, for having me on. I'm so thrilled. We had such a good time that, that day, like you said, a little over a month ago, maybe two months ago now, at, uh, at uh, Magiano's, and it was uh, r- really fun sitting and getting to uh, know you. I'd heard many things for a long time from, from my dear friend, Lorian Fenton, about you. And, uh, you know, when you were naming your uh, groups of friends that, uh, and people you respect who have an interest in this subject certainly uh, add Laen to that list and and now add me
0: <laughs> well I, I I was well. you could see for me I was so excited by all this I never even finished my lunch but I'm going to ask you a sort of a long first question but it's very very important to lay the groundwork for this as you know well Melinda all your life everybody is affected and informed by their first impressions. You take the first impressions of the reports of the John Kennedy assassination, with Dan Rather saying the shot hits him in the head and he moves violently forward. So of course, we believe Dan Rather and that was Harvey Oswald. We, and even later, 12 years later, when the Zapruder film comes out, we saw that Dan Rather is lying. Thousands of people did not change their mind with the facts because of their very first impressions. My very first impression, of course, of UFOs, you were probably not even born at the time. They made a movie about the subject. I'm sure a lot of people have seen the movie. It's about a fellow named Barney Hill and his wife. Are you familiar with that story? Very,
1: very. Betty and Barney Hill. Okay, Okay. I'm extremely familiar. Their niece. Uh, who's now out there on the lecture cir- circuit, uh, Kathleen Martin, and has been for a long time, is now considered one of the preeminent abduction and uh, abduction researchers and UFO researchers. I'm very proud to say is a very good friend of mine, and uh, I'm, I'm extremely well familiar with that case.
0: Okay, before you expand on that, love, tell me a little bit about where you were born, who your parents were, if you had siblings, and when you were a young girl and thinking about what it is that you wanted to do when you grew up, <laughs> tell, me, tell me about that because I'm and, – and then you're, uh, you're going to have to tell me when was the first time something rattled around in your head that made you somehow begin to think about the unknown. So start at the beginning about your family.
1: Okay. All right. Well, let me see him. I was grown. I was uh, raised, uh, born and raised in Southern California. I grew up in Palos Verdes, coastal Southern California, and just you know, coastal LA area, uh, Palos Verdes. And uh, went in high school, moved to Irvine, California, and then bounced all around Orange County, California, till I moved to Sedona seven years ago. So I'm you know socal girl born and raised and uh tell me about youngest.
0: tell me about tell me about your mother and father and where you yeah, went to school I'm, well,
1: I'm the youngest of five kids
0: wow. uh
1: my mom and dad were both uh brought up in the la area themselves um uh, i think my dad originally from ohio if i remember correctly and uh and then grew up in the L.A. Hollywood area. Um, they met <clears throat> in Newport Beach, California, and that's the, actually where I ended up uh, living my last place before I was moving to Sedona. And, uh, and like I said, I'm the youngest of five kids, so I have four siblings. And growing up in Pals Verde's had a very normal um, life, uh, school system, activities and didn't really have any involvement in any of these subjects um, for quite a long time. And then, as a young girl, came interested in different, uh, what you would call paranormal and metaphysical subjects.
0: Do you know why?
1: And Well, um, now, yes, but back then, no. Uh, Back then, it was just a matter of... um, of having, you know, various interests and, and hobbies. And I remember taking it very seriously, even though sometimes your playmates, it's it fun and games. To me, it was very, very serious. And then in high school and realizing I was probably uh, psychic and intuitive. <clears throat> and then in high school, uh, while well, going to Irvine high, uh, a young man that I met and became my boyfriend at the time. But at that time, is along with meeting him, as I was discovering and coming to terms with the fact that I had a greater interest in these subjects and was, like I said, a psychic. And then when I started to date him, we were kind of, he felt somewhat the same way about himself, So we were kind of experimenting with psychic things and reading books about it. And he met uh, late one night. He lived in a, it's Irvine, California. He goes its large uh, home communities, and there's a very large one named uh, Woodbridge. He was in that area, and um, and he went. They have l- large local community pools. And late one night, he goes to a community pool. He meets this older lady. She proceeds to tell him she teach, teaches psychic development classes in her house, has for years and that he's going to be her new student. And he started going to those, and he told me about them. I was thinking of it sounded very strange, but eventually I went with him, and that began the beginnings of a very formal education into all things metaphysical, psychic, paranormal, etc. And then I remained constantly involved and interested in that. And, you know, I can jump ahead for a minute to 1989. Now, prior to, <clears throat> prior to 1989, obviously I'd been in, involved in metaphysics my whole life and very seriously since high school. But I didn't really have an interest in the UFO subject. Um, to me, in the early 80s, UFOs were something that was like higher beings with channeled information and that kind of thing. You know, extraterrestrials were higher beings, and people had channeled them. And I was familiar at the time with like Barbara Marciniak and channeling the Pleiadians, and you know that kind of thing. And uh, and so I had only a very mild interest, but not really the nuts and bolts part of it. And then all of a sudden, and certainly you, because you you live in Vegas, right, John? Yes, dear. And, and then I love you. You know
0: what, uh, uh, Melinda? There's no question. I do not doubt your psychic ability at all. My wife predicted her father's death, which shocked me. And also, mm-hmm. I met Peter Hirsch, Herkos, who demonstrated yes. an amazing uh, psychic ability when he told the stewardess he had just met about how he had drowned, and the stewardess started screaming and crying. But he had drowned in his own blood. He had, he had a motorcycle accident, and the and the uh, handlebars pierced his lungs, and he drowned in his own blood. And I was present at the time, so I don't doubt that. But what was the first experience that you had that gave you the feeling you might be psychic or are psychic?
1: <clears throat> oh, lots as a as a kid. I mean, now I realize. That I was had having what's considered out of body experience as a kid. Um, I would do this thing where I would spin around, like you know, like little girls twirling around, you know. And I would do this thing <clears throat> when I was very young. Sorry, I just ate something before the interview, <laughs> clearing my throat. Sorry, um, and and I would spin around and till I would. Basically, spin around and pass out, like get really dizzy and lay down and pass out. And it, and it, what I was doing was like putting myself in a trance and throwing myself out of body. Now at the time, I just thought it was fun to spin around until you passed out. <laughs> but a lot of times, I would look down on myself, you know, like I was I was clearly out of body. Now I understand that I was doing that, and um, and a few a few other things. I had a real strong intuition. Um, the the boyfriend of mine and I were playing with the infamous Ouija board, <laughs> Ouija board and uh, and having all sorts of communication stuff happen, um and some fairly dramatic stuff, which is kind of caused us when we were freshmen and sophomores in high school to, To say, okay, wait, we, you know, this we have some very real things happening here. Maybe we need to learn more about this, and so we started to pursue it It to kind of understand some of the things that we were having happen. But again, as a kid, it was lots of just little things, and I never labeled it as such. I had an interest in those subjects, but I, you know, I wouldn't have thought of myself necessarily as psychic, or or at least, like I said, didn't understand the that's part of what And I was
0: then l- let's let's fast forward then to the yeah. 1989 experience that yeah, wanted to tell because us because
1: that like I said prior to that I didn't have much of an interest in the UFO stuff other than a more kind of spiritual take on it and and was actually kind of had a real lot of healthy skepticism about it but then well two things happened once this one time as a little kid very young Um, I was fairly certain I had a sighting out the back window the back of our house in Palsford. And after that, if you had asked me, I would have said, I think I saw something once, a craft out the back window. But but it was fleeting and brief, and it was one of those typical, you know, fleeting brief sightings where you're like, did I really see that? And so I, I probably would have said that. But then in 1987, there was this big kind of planetary alignment event called the Harmonic Convergence that was really famous. And people were traveling all over the world to sacred sites to join together in meditation and prayer and chanting and, you know, with like-minded community.
0: I heard Art Bell talking about it a lot.
1: Yes, that's right. That's right. And so in 87, I had come already since the early 80s to Sedona. I was living in Southern California still. But I'd come to Sedona on and off starting in the early eighties. You know, Sedona is, is Mecca for new agers. <laughs> and I was guilty, you know. And uh all, all,
0: so all you Shirley McClain types.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Pretty much. <laughs> no, very, very much. <laughs> I'd read all her books, you know. And um, <clears throat> So we came here in 1987 over the harmonic Convergence. And I was at someone's rather large house with about 40 people in their living room. And they channeled information from extraterrestrial being that if we went outside right then, we all piled out to the front, outside the front of the house, We would they would fly over and we'd have a sighting. So we did. So like 40 people piled out in the driveway.
0: Did any of, did any of you ever think or bring up the topic of perhaps it's some secret military stuff that we're working on that came out of Area Fifty One that no one knew well, about?
1: I'll get into more of that in a little while, but yeah, okay. but in this case, no. Someone received this message and said, "Let's if we go outside. They'll fly over," and we had been in this large kind of mediumship channeling meditation group in the house. So we were all very open to having experience right then. So we went out and we're out in the driveway for maybe 10 minutes, maybe less. And these three large amber lights, like orange orange colored lights, orange red, three of them separate objects, but in a triangle formation, came down over us in a perfect triangle formation, came from high, swooped down lower. We never saw what I call structure, like a a disc or triangle, but they were large lights. It was completely daytime. It was in the afternoon, beautiful, rich blue sky, you know, and here's these three things. Come right over us, swoop down, do a nice big arcing turn, then quickly, dramatically go up, 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 and disappear. But all Everyone witnessed it, and it was exactly as, you know, we'd only been outside for like five minutes. It was exactly what they said would happen. So we, we had a great sighting, and, and we all saw it, and we all talked about it. So from that point on, if anyone had said, have you ever seen a UFO, I would have said yes. In Sedona in 87, we saw three craft come over us, and it was quite dramatic, and I was with a large group of people. So that and then after that, it made me say, "Well, probably when I was a kid, that was a sign too, probably." And uh, and and so it, it kind of rested at that. But again, I didn't. That didn't throw me into having a huge interest into looking into it. Other than at that point, I had had a sighting, and I was certain, and I was with other people, and you know, we witnessed it. So I knew at that point, okay, you know, this absolutely exists, and I'm okay with it. And then in 1989, all hell broke loose. (laughs) What had happened in 1989 is, because this is right up your alley and literally in your backyard, because what had happened, and your dear friend, (laughs) George Knapp, is quite the expert on, which is the breaking of the Bob Lazar story. And what had happened is research, scientist-physicist Robert Lazar, had been working out at Area 51, or more correctly, a subsection S4, and had extreme harassment through his work, um, was having probably some difficult with it emotionally or coming to terms with what was going on with him. And he confided in, my understanding is real estate broker Gene Huff, about his personal experiences, at which point Gene introduced him to famous researcher John Lear, son of the inventor of the Learjet. And and Gene and Lear said, how can you prove this other than in having some minor uh, documentation and whatnot about his background? But he said, the best thing I can do is take you out there to the opposite side of the base and show you the test flight. <laughs> They went out with him on numerous occasions, and John Lear ended up going on a radio program broadcast out of Vegas at the time called Billy Goodman's The Happening and talking about, as well as at the time, John Lear was friends with very controversial UFO researcher Bill Cooper. And Bill Cooper and John were both going on this radio program talking about what they were experiencing out there because Bill had gone out there, too. Uh, and Bill's no longer with us. He's passed away. Uh John is still here, thankfully. <laughs> I love John.
0: <laughs> and, Bill, uh, Bill Bill Bill, as you know, was probably murdered.
1: Yes, yes. I know the whole story. And and yes. Yes. Uh it was either yeah, yeah, murdered or copicite or a combination of the two, yes. But um moving right along, so then okay. So I took a big swig of coffee, sorry. (laughs) And uh, so they went out there and had signs, and he was going on Billy Goodman's radio show and saying, we're seeing this stuff. And a friend of mine fell onto this, and I was living in Southern California in the Newport Beach area. She was living in Southern California in what was called the Lake Forest area, kind of inland from Laguna Beach, that area. And she was, I was an office manager at the time, and she was a paralegal at the time. And uh, so she started listening to this show, and she turned me on to it, and it was right. I mean, literally, the week that the first time Lear went on the show. And they were talking all about this, and within a week's time, there was so much interest from people calling into the show, the producer had decided Let's rent some buses and take people out there where anyone can go out on Highway 375 and see what these people are seeing. And, but they only, they, but they decide just to rent the two buses and anyone else who wanted to come along could follow. And so, my friend, I mean, literally, we heard about this on a Tuesday night. And the next Friday, we're driving out there to meet everyone. <laughs> now, We got too late of a start to meet up with the buses, but they had told everyone what the mile marker was on Highway 375 and how to get out there. So when we were leaving from Southern California, five-hour drive roughly to Vegas, and then two-and-a-half hours from there to Rachel, Nevada, so we go out. And we follow everyone out there. We get out there, and the buses are, like, starting to leave. And we're like, what do you mean you're going? Yeah, We've been here about two hours, you know, we have a lot of elderly that came from Vegas. We still have over two hours drive back, so we're going to get going. And it was roughly 10 o'clock at night. And they had had a lot of sightings, and they were telling us. And we're like, oh, no, we missed it. Oh, no. So we, But we stayed out there as well as about roughly more than 20, probably 30 or 40 cars of people, I would say roughly – 50 to 75, 50 to 80, you know, people after the two buses left. And the remaining people sat there after 10, after the buses left, and continued to have sightings till about two in the morning. Uh, Melinda,
0: Melinda, you're at uh, Area 51 and you're having these sightings, but they're not necessarily sightings of UFOs. They could have been sightings of military test craft.
1: We were seeing multiple things flying that were absolutely defying gravity, defying any understanding of physics, which I had at least a cursory pretty good understanding. Um, And they were doing remarkable acrobatic feats. I mean, it was truly mind-blowing. And it continued for a number of hours. I mean, we... There had been a little cloud coverage that night, probably clouds at about 10 or 12,000 feet, pretty thick. Uh, And objects were dropping out of the clouds, doing what's called a falling leaf pattern, going back and forth, back and forth, and then down behind the the hills just outside the base. They were shooting up from behind the hills, shooting, stopping on the dime, shooting, stopping on the dime, shooting, stopping on the dime, and then going up through the clouds. I mean, it was clearly defying physics, clearly we didn't have anything that was anti-gravity doing what we were seeing, stopping on a dime and shooting off and stopping on a dime. Um, you know, that would kill anyone on board without a large magnetic field surrounding the object, protecting, you know, etc. So it, it was really quite mind-blowing. And we were so excited. We made the whole trip from Southern California out there again two weeks later. So this was both in middle and late uh, September of 1989. And and then we went back a month later, which was actually Halloween uh, weekend in uh, October. So in September and October of 1999, I took three back-to-back trips out there, uh, sitting out multiple nights in a row, staring at the sky, having amazing sightings. And during that time, had even seen, one time there was a group, one of those trips, uh, there was about 40 of us out there, and we saw a, a, an amber-lit object come up from behind the base start to go over us, and a gentleman had a 10-inch uh, telescope, great big, you know, high-powered 10-inch on a you know, stand telescope. And he zoomed in on it, and what you could see through the telescope very clearly was a round disk with little amber lights, about 12, at least 12, that we could count the lights going in a circle around this bigger object. And the, it, But to the naked eye, it was just a large, lit-up amber object, but with the telescope, you could clearly see the edge and the, the little individual lights. And it passed over us, went behind the hills, kind of behind where we were next to the highway there, and hovered over those hills or mountaintops, and then all of a sudden shot straight up like a bullet. And it was really dramatic, and everybody saw it, and anyone who lined up to take a peek through the telescope could clearly see that was the the shape. And on another trip there, uh, uh, I believe the, the, the telescope and the craft, I think we saw that on the third trip, on the second trip I'd taken there, and we had a these... large object come a us and come over was lit up all blue, and all a of a sudden it shot off like it went from being an object drifting over us to looking like a laser beam shooting. Like it just went, It went so fast it was literally a streak of light. And
0: Melinda, uh, excuse me a second a little That could have looked extraterrestrial because of the way it defied the laws of physics. That could make anyone believe, okay, there are UFOs. Put that on pause a moment because I want to know what your reaction was when you discovered the story of Barney Hill and his wife, the story that I saw as a kid that said that they were abducted. By UFOs, because because there's something other than the sightings that made you more of a believer. Go ahead.
1: John, I'll, I'll jump to the quick here, which is after those three trips and so many remarkable sightings, back to back in two months, it was like inserting a key in my mind and turning it and unlocking something because I started to have memories come forward of childhood teenage and young adult abduction experiences and realized, okay, this is crazy. I sought the help of a, because I was having memories come forward, and I'll give you some quick examples. Eventually, I sought the help within a year or less, actually a couple months. (laughs) I sought the help of a psychotherapist, a full-fledged PhD doctor of psychology, not a psychiatrist, but a psychotherapist, Mm -hmm. PhD doctor of psychology, um, who did regressive hypnosis, and I went to her saying, this is crazy, obviously, I'm not having abduction, that's nonsense, and, and I'm losing my mind, and she said, well, let's see if you're really <laughs> losing your mind, and she proceeded to work with me and eventually did a, a number, over years, it turned out, of regressive hypnosis, and and not only did I have a lot of conscious memory of experiences, I started also having uh, recall in the regressive hypnosis. So, with that, I'm an abdictee myself, and it was all those back-to-back trips. Now, of course, I probably first heard and probably saw on television Interrupted Journey, which is the movie about Betty Barney Hill, probably in the 70s. Um, so, I had seen that. Uh, it was just very strange to me, uh, and uh, but... It was later, after becoming very involved in UFO research and investigation, that, of course, I became more known it, with that case. And, uh, and it's a remarkable abduction case. Um, it, they were certainly one of the first major public cases of known, investigated you know, uh, information put out there to the public. Uh, with
0: with, were... with the hills with the hills, Melinda, tell us basically yes. what they claimed happened to them, why on earth they would come forward to tell this remarkable story, and what effects did it have on the rest of their life? Evidently it must have had a good effect on their daughter, because she is doing quite well and living with it. But tell us that story quickly.
1: Yes. Um Well, uh, yeah, it greatly affected the the family and their niece, as I said. Uh, Kathleen Martin is now a very famous researcher in the field, works very closely with uh, famous researcher Stan Friedman, physicist Stan Friedman. And so, in that experience, um, they were driving, I believe, over the border between the U.S. and And uh, Canada, and um, had a a sighting while driving of seeing a craft come down low in in front of them. They proceeded to have a a period of missing time. That's very typical in the experiences. I too have had experiences while driving. And uh, and this time um, they were taken on board. Uh, It's very famous for Betty being shown a star map, kind of a 3D diagram of space, and the beings were apparently trying to explain to her where we were and where they were from and, you know, the proximity. And later, from memory, she created this and in regressive hypnosis sessions, and it turned out to be Zeta Reticuli 1 and 2 star system which, of course, she had no knowledge of and was not well known in uh, um, astronomy at the time, but became, over time, better known. And it turned out that what she had created from memory and hypnosis about this 3D system, and eventually somebody modeled it into an actual 3D, I think with, if I remember correctly, wires and balls or something, uh, you know, duplicate it. But it turned out that this was an exact model of the Zeta Reticuli star system, so that was very much supporting evidence because at the time that she knew that that was not known, and uh, and for someone to have a very specific, you know, clear idea of what the whole thing looked like was would have been impossible. And so she had been shown that, and, and sure enough, it turned out that that was accurate, and. Um, and and they they did something to her um, with sticking a, a needle in her stomach that
0: yes. she understood
1: at the time they said was a pregnancy test. And,
0: I, uh, I, I, and removing I remember
1: fluid. it. I remember yeah, it removing well. Fluid, but that turns out that that was the removing of ovum, which happens to just about all women in abduction experiences, and removing of sperm from men. And the most common thing that happens in abduction is the removal of ovum or eggs from women and sperm from men. And they produce these hybrid beings that look part ET, part human. And on that note, I just came back a week ago from taping a documentary for Netflix in Los Angeles on the hybrid subject that everybody looks for this come October, November Um, It was an independent film company, but they were under contract with Netflix, long story short. And uh, if everything goes forward and it, in fact, gets picked up and put out, it should hit Netflix in end of October or, let's say, November of this year.
0: That stuff is also compelling and interesting. But nothing I ever read about The Hills ever indicated that somehow or other, other Were they ever contacted by American military?
1: Oh, yes. Oh,
0: yes. (laughs) Okay. Yes, yes. Yes. extensively. Uh, Then tell us about that. Because when I was researching you, and I'm fascinated by this stuff, I saw in our speech, I thought it was you, but I wasn't quite sure. And this was... This was a, a while ago when I first heard about all of this stuff. It was in Oregon, and a woman was giving a 10-point program of how and why the military and the U.S. government is involved with the business of UFOs. And George Knapp has reported two or three times, and even the mainstream media has begun to report on the fact that the U.S. military is now going to open files. The, some of their UFO files. So that's the stuff that really fascinates me. So tell me how and why the military got in contact with the Hills and have they ever gotten in contact with you or given you any trouble of any sort?
1: Oh, yes, yes. Um, well, the Hills, I, I think it's easiest to say this way because uh, what I've heard from uh, Kathleen Martin, the niece of the Hills, and talking to her privately, um, is that they had things happen much like me. So I, I think for the simplicity here and for accuracy, it's better that I talk about my own stuff right now, only because okay. the Hill's had a lesser degree of, of some of the stuff that, that I had happen. But they they did have, initially I'll say this much with the Hill's, uh, they initially had an Air Force colonel, if I remember correctly, get involved um, and and come to their home and ask them and kind of question them or interrogate them about their experience. Um, they had subsequent involvement of what is referred to now in abduction research as a MILAB event, M-I-L-A-B, and M-I-L is for military, and A-B is an abbreviation for abduction. <clears throat> and that's a that's a, a form of a lot of alien abductees. Then get targeted by covert human agencies, and have military show up in their lives, and sometimes in their abduction accounts um, as involved in showing interest in the fact that this person has had alien abduction experiences, and that had happened to me. Um, besides remembering my initial alien abductions, starting then in late 89 and early 90, with remembering childhood, teenage, young, adult uh, alien abduction experiences, um, and then going forward into some current experiences into the early 90s. You know, so it wasn't just past memories. It was also stuff currently happening with me. And then all of a sudden in 93, I had two experiences, one in August and one of November of 93, where it wasn't just an alien abduction. I had military personnel present. Now, before that, before those two experiences, I had had some what's called helicopter harassment, having black helicopters show up, uh, hover low over my roof, um, specifically in, oh, I think it was about 92, 91 maybe, I was living with a roommate in Fountain Valley, California, and had this large black helicopter come very, in the middle of the night, very low over the roof. Uh, I, I heard it. My, the house was shaking. I, it woke me up, of course. I look out mini blinds on my window right next to my bed and I suddenly see the runners of the helicopter peek out from over the roof line. So I see the two runners, you know, like it, it, it wasn't one with wheels that have the old fashioned, you know, kind of braces or runners on it. I saw those and then I saw the nose of the helicopter and, and it was, you know, really low. I mean, I, I, maybe only hundred feet above the roof, you know, and I, I thought and it came over and, and and then it took off towards the backyard. So I grab a robe, put it on, run out through the house, through the backyard, and it proceeded to spiral over me in the backyard. It doesn't looked like it was going to the front of the house. And you're going to love this, John. This is up your alley. <laughs> I ran out the front, and there's a great big tree, and I'm under this great big, I, I think it was a milk tree, but I'm under it, and I, but I can see the helicopter spiraling. And there's one, I, there, this house was on the end of a big cul-de-sac. And there was one tall light, on, you know, on the cul-de-sac at the end. And and I'm like hiding under the tree as this thing kind of spiraled around again. And then it kind of flew off and did a big loop and then came back and was hovering kind of out over the cul-de-sac. And I, I had the, um, the, let's just say cojones, <laughs> to go out under the street lamp. Stand up and in defiance, um, I think I can say it this way on there. I slipped it off. <laughs> I gave it the burn. <laughs> and, Melinda,
0: uh, why, uh, Melinda, why do you think the government would do that to people like you? Why wouldn't they do to people like you? And I say that, I don't mean to say that, that that's not in any pejorative sense, like you're different from anybody else, because there are thousands and thousands who have experienced what you have experienced, but why would the government try to, uh, try to destroy you, uh, uh, physically rather than destroy your character the the way they did with the, the the (coughs) the house (laughs) select committee and assassin, excuse me, dear, the house select committee and assassination said there were 78 uh, additional important witnesses murdered, uh, uh, and this is this is all proven. Okay, they were solid witnesses to proving that Lee Harvey Oswald did not kill John Kennedy. But as Jim Garrison says in the film, if they can't murder you, they murder your character. So why wouldn't they make fun of you rather than try to? Well,
1: they hurt they have you? done that to many researchers and many people. But with the key, they're wanting to know. So it's, it, John, that's a very good question. And as I started to realize what was happening to me, I had to figure out these things and come up with these answers, talk to other abductees having experiences, same as me, and major abduction researchers in the field and other UFO researchers to try to really wrap my head around what was going on. I've now been researching that subject matter for 28, 29 years, and so I've learned a lot o- over that time. This, This is what I can tell you. They're very interested in what the abductees know. They're picking up abductees. For instance, the next two experiences I had in August and November of 89, one of those was being removed from where I lived by military personnel who came in and drugged me during the night and took me to an underground military installation in both of those cases. One of those cases was specifically going to get rather graphic, and it is rather personal, but I've talked about it many times over the years, which is one of the things that happens in alien abductions is, besides the taking of ovum and sperm and production of hybrids, is there's a thing called missing fetus where someone can be possibly pregnant and have a missing fetus removed by ET. Unfortunately, in some of these military abductions, that kind of stuff has also happened. And I have talked to some medical experts since to learn that it was very likely that I had a misformed uh, problem, pregnancy of some type. I was not married at the time. I was not dating. Um, I was having back-to-back alien experiences. And then I had an experience with the military where they removed fetal tissue from me.
0: Oh, my. It was
1: not necessary an abortion. It wasn't a living thing. It was just probably misformed fetal tissue in the extremely early stages of, of something. But in the experience, they removed that. They wanted the genetic material. Um, after that experience, that was in August of 93. In November of 93, I have another military experience. But this one, they're specifically interrogating me about an alien piece of technology and it was like they, they wanted to know if I had seen this specific thing, and then they wanted me. It, should I see it again to retain information? So you know, it's going to sound kind of corny, but like use me like a spy on ET's. And 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 so that was specifically about alien technology. When and, you, uh,
0: Melinda, when when you recovered from this visit to the military hospital, wherever. That was. Did you go to a gynecologist to have him no, or her at the time, time,
1: I was having very odd feminine cycles. And so I chalked it up to odd feminine cycles. I was having such odd stuff happen that it did not seem that out of the norm. I had, right before this experience, gift a cycle, but that was not then unusual at the time. Do you? So in do my you... case, I had no awareness of having had been pregnant other than now since talking to medical people to determine that I probably had the symptoms beforehand, but it was so early on I was unaware and I wasn't dating at the time. So I was like in denial like, well, that couldn't be that. So I chalked it up to having just other feminine Um, problems this
0: this fascinating woman that I saw speak at one of these conferences I believe it was last year and I think you and Lorian were very aware of the conference I can't remember the woman's name when she talked about Mm -hmm. the 10 reasons why the military was interested in and involved in UFOs and those people who were involved with UFOs Mm -hmm. but do, uh, like her, do you believe that somehow our military intelligence apparatus or the deep state or whatever, on some hidden level, is working with these people?
1: Yes, absolutely. It is seen reportedly in these experiences of military and ETs working together. This is often reported as part of this, what I call, mil-ab or military abduction experience. I have seen that myself, but I'm in no way alone. I've spoken to many, many uh, abductees, experiencers, contactees who have seen this, and it, it, so it's very common for these people to see them working together. I had an enough about five years ago, where myself and four friends, five of us, were removed from a house together. Now I've been. That's also common in the alien abduction scenario to have what's called a mass abduction of multiple people taken together. The five of us were taken together by ETs, and I call this in my research because I do the MILAB research. I've worked with hundreds of cases of people who've had stuff happen, uh, stuff meaning some form of military involvement, harassment, surveillance, monitoring, being picked up, interrogated, having follow-up medical things happen, and, and then having involvement in their lives with military and or intelligence personnel. And as, you, as, as, as your but life so
0: has evolved, as your life has evolved and your experiences in life evolved, what has been the reaction? You're the youngest uh, of five children. What has been the reaction of your yeah. family? And what uh, do you still have contact with the young man you knew in high school?
1: Y- yes, I'll, I'll get into that in just a just a moment, but to quickly just finish what I was saying, because your audience okay. kind of left them hanging, I think, <laughs> was was um, that time with the five of us removed together by ETs, but it, I called a handoff event. At one point, we were handed over to military personnel, taken to a large underground installation near where I live, and we were all tested for abilities, specifically psychokinesis, oh. moving matter with our mind, oh, and there were many God. other abductees in this event. Two years after this event, I have a young man come on my tour. By the way, we haven't even mentioned that part yet. My UFO tour. Oh, so. oh, yeah, you, so, you, you, must, get to, uh, you, you must get to
0: you, must you must get to that because yes,
1: I yes, would have thought
0: have. your excuse me, dear, I would have thought your experiences with the military. Would have frightened you away from how you now earn a living. You earn yeah. a living in the most interesting way <laughs> I've did, ever heard did, of. So get yeah. to that.
1: So okay, well, so so first, am to, to saying. So this young man comes to me on my tour two years later and asks that he talk to me privately the next day. And he, when I say young man, he wasn't that young. He was he was uh, probably about forty, <laughs> and and so. Uh, he or In his late 30s, anyways, he comes, actually he's traveling in Sedona, just happens to be with his uh, mom. They both took a trip here together. And they both come to my office and he shares with me, and she does too, their involvement with alien abduction. Okay, I've had a lot of people do that after my tour. But in that case, he also says he wants to meet with me the next day. So the, the next day after that, we meet for lunch. He proceeds to tell me, when he he used to live in Sedona and he used to have the military abduction events too, but he didn't want to say that in front of his mom. And he went on into his military abduction events that he had here. And he starts to explain one event. He gives me the date and year that it happened and what happened to him. No. And it was the identical, he was part of the same experience. This abduction we had happened probably involved about 100 people, about 100 abductees in this underground military installation. And so here, two years later, I have a young man sharing with me in detail the same event, the same date, and all the same scenario. In other words, he was one of the other 100 people involved. And I always thought when so many people were involved, I mean, myself and my four friends, we all remembered it. We all had a lot of conscious memory. And three of the five of us later got separate aggressive hypnosis sessions. And the therapist that worked with us said we clearly recalled the identical same experience. We're all oh my three of us gracious. remembering the same thing. And yet all five of us had. And here's a guy sharing the exact same thing with me. That he had obviously been one of the other hundred people
0: that that's amazing but what is so amazing to me is where on earth you got this idea that you could go on these uh, ufo sighting tours i mean you absolutely floored me when you told me that <laughs> and how you came up with the idea and whatever made you think you could okay. ever okay. see a ufo and then charge okay. people <laughs> go ahead tell, well, tell okay, us
1: exactly um I know we're not, we probably don't have much time left, so I'll try to do this c- as concise as possible. Okay, here we go. A man in Northern California by the name of Ed Grimsley figured out that you could see UFOs with military night vision goggles, specifically PVS 7 generation 3 night vision goggles, or generation 2 Xan 3. But so he figured out you could really see them because they increase the amount of light you see by. Twenty to fifty thousand times, you know. So they're going to increase, you know, the mass stars you see by roughly fifty thousand times. And so he started to have signs. He was bringing his goggles to different UFO conferences. I'm just kind of glossing over this real fast. And and I had gone out with him in the Bay Area of California, San Francisco area, and had amazing sightings at a UFO conference, literally out in the parking lot. And so this. And then he came to Sedona. I wasn't living here yet, but a friend of mine in Southern California had a timeshare here. She said, let's go out. There's this little conference going on in Sedona. I've got timeshare for weeks coming to me, you know, so let's go out. And you can stay in my timeshare. And then we'll also go out and do these sky watches with Ed. And we did. And after that, there was someone else here in town who did UFO sighting tours with military night vision goggles. And I thought they were charging way too much, quite frankly. And Ed, I came up with this idea to start these tours here, and he was very supportive of the idea. And and I started to think about it. And about roughly a year or two later, I was thinking about it, but hadn't really done anything. I was still living in Southern California. And a friend of mine who lived here, who worked at a place called the Center for the New Age, Went to the owner and said, "I know someone who wants to do this thing. What do you think?" And the owner was very supportive. I ended up coming and meeting with the owner of the center for New Age. Took a trip here twice and did so, and planned this business idea. Um, a friend of mine. I didn't have goggles. They cost at that point well over three grand a piece.
0: Oh my the God!
1: Gone up. They're almost four grand a piece now. But anyway, so. Um, so a friend of mine said, what's holding you up? I said, can't afford the goggles and moving charges. And this friend of mine said, what if I help you? So they helped me get into goggles. I made payments to them for two pairs of goggles. And now I own six pairs. I take up to 12 people at a time. And John, last night was tour number, so seven years later. I started doing it seven years ago. I've now done
0: 910 tours as of last night. And, and the question that I asked you at lunch Your answer stunned me even more. I asked you, has anybody ever asked for a refund?
1: (laughs) (laughs) Well, in 910 tours, and no no joke, you guys, this is the absolute God honest truth, only once did my clients feel they didn't have a sighting. Now, about a year into it, when I realized we were seeing multiple UFO sightings every time, I decided to offer a money-back guarantee that if you saw them or you got your money back, and about two years into doing it, we had a night where it was a really slow night. I thought maybe two signs, but it was just—it just it just wasn't good. I had two elderly couples. <laughs> they didn't know each other. They met on the tour. And we go back to the Center for New Age, and I said, you know what? I'm really sorry. I, I offer the money back guarantee. I absolutely you have to give your money back. We do not keep credit card numbers on file, so I need your credit card number. They went to their car, came back, or cars, and talked amongst themselves, came back to me, and they said, Melinda... We had such a good time on the tour, we <laughs> we refused the refund. So I've only why? had to what? offer the refund once, and I've never had to make good on it. <laughs>
0: why? But the deal is, no, no,
1: I have that guarantee that if people come, and it, now if, a, if the majority <laughs> of people thought they saw something, obviously no one gets a refund. But but it, it, if, if the majority of the people really thought they didn't see anything, I will get a refund. But I take up to 12 why why why
0: do you think why do you think, dude, that Sedona is a great place for those sites? And if, am I out of line if I ask you how much your tour costs?
1: No, not at all. Okay. Sedona is a hot spot for sightings, always has been. People who live here have sightings day and night. It's very it's very much considered a UFO hotspot, which just means an area known for sightings, like I said, all the time. Um, Even the Native Americans living here going back thousands of years said they had regular contact with the star people. In fact, all the Native cultures from this area believe they are the descendants of the star people. That is part of their whole uh, spiritual and and cultural belief system. And so to them, having sightings is no big deal. (laughs) And here in Sedona, it has been a hot spot, and you gather any... 20 residents together, and I guarantee you at least 10, if not 15, 15 out of 20, have have had sightings. It's really that common. And then... And how much, how much the do you charge? ...night vision goggles, it increases our chances of seeing stuff by 50,000 times because to the degree it increases the amount of light you see. And I, when I started doing these tours, I never thought in a million years we'd have sightings every time. It, it just still blows my mind, but we do. I mean, I've taken out over 6,000 people 6500 clients on 910 tours and uh, and we and we've seen you know i did the math recently conservatively well over 20,000 sites and it's just it's
0: I'm going to say i'm going to say two all the two time. things two things first of all i would like to know how much it would cost and for me personally you know i think i would be a little nervous if I went out at night and uh, and and actually saw something zipping around there, I would say, well, how do we know that isn't some Russian Sputnik or some Chinese thing or, or uh, some other satellite? I mean, I'm a very nuts and bolts, very kind of conservative person when it comes to these kinds of things. And what would yep. happen is I would hate it if my mind were changed. Isn't that a dreadful thing to say? Anyway, <laughs> how much? How much would well, it Well I gotta take you, John,
1: because I need to show you. So then you've had a sighting and, and then you'll just get over that. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, but, I don't know. Anyway, how much would this uh, how I, I much charge you I charge eighty dollars per adult,
1: kids fourteen under free, but there's a group of kids that are on you know, fourteen or under. I usually want two paying adults with them. And hey, that way, I must, it's affordable I, must for families. I must tell
0: you, Linda, eighty dollars for such an experience in a place like Sedona is absolutely remarkable. When I was a kid going to the Toronto Maple Leafs at the uh, Maple Leaf Gardens to watch Toronto play, standing room was 50 cents. Uh, yeah. Three months ago, before the uh, Stanley Cup playoffs started, I want to go to the standing room only to watch the Las Vegas Golden Knights. It was $150, and they were sold out. So $80 yeah. to be in a place like Sedona and in your company to experience something like that in the night sky. I'll tell you honestly, I have a rental property in Phoenix. A couple of times a year I go there, on the way back driving through the desert. I'll tell you very honestly, I've never said this to anyone except my wife. I will always stop in the darkest part of the desert, get out of my car and lean against it for an hour, looking at the night sky, wondering at its magnificence, but waiting for something to show up, and it never has.
1: Well, come with me. I guarantee signs your money back. You'll see them. And since we're talking all about my tours, I'm going to quickly say my website, because people like might be saying, how do I hear of this?
0: Yes, by all means. Go to
1: www.ufocitingtours.com.
0: Okay. Tell them again where they can go to your site and also where they can see some of your amazing videos. I watched a half a dozen of them and
1: of course I love There's there's stuff on YouTube that I'm proud of and then there's stuff on YouTube I'm not as much. Now if I really, really was concerned of something, I'd have whoever posted it take it down. (laughs) So I'm just saying there's some I'm more proud of than others. But if you if you YouTube me melinda leslie you'll find all sorts of videos and i have some stuff linked to my website which is again ufo Sighting tours tours is plural t-o-u-r-s dot com so again ufo Sighting tours dot com and that will take you directly to the information about oh goodness my my tours and about me and um, etc now my Milab research is not located in my tour information for probably obvious reasons. And But if you, again, if you either Google me and or go to YouTube and search me on YouTube, you will find all that related information of which there's quite a bit and different lectures. On, on, on,
0: on, 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 your, on your site, Melinda, yes. do you ever reference one or two other people? I know there's my, my computer guru, uh, David Lisby, who is an absolute genius and believes wholeheartedly in UFOs and sends me all kinds of videos, he sent me two videos of a guy, that I forget his name now, a nice-looking fellow, very muscular, talks always about UFOs. He is interesting to listen to, but I can't remember his name. But are there people on your site whom you respect that you might link to for curious People well, who'd like to know more about it? I
1: admit my, my tour site is mostly about my tours, so, so uh, not so much. Um, um, I certainly, you know, your, yours and my friend George Knapp, I certainly recommend his information. Um, I would certainly recommend researcher uh, Richard Dolan and his information. Yes,
0: um, yes. A,
1: another gentleman by the name of Grant Cameron, I think, does amazing work. Um, he's from Canada he does amazing work and very prevalent also in the US um,
0: Wait, is that the former member of Canadian government
1: no no that's Paul Hillier, who was their um, defense
0: minister yes, of defense, the, sorry, yes the defense minister published the best-selling yep. book about it
1: yes and he unfortunately not while he was currently holding the position but upon right. retiring he went public with what Canada knew about uh, extraterrestrials and sightings and, you know, and UFOs. And um, such a very prominent major, you know, political figure in Canada disclosing his personal knowledge. It was remarkable, to say the least. And so uh, people can look his, his that book up. Was pop- a, a good is. thing also to check out is called The Citizen's Hearing on Disclosure, of which there's a, nob- a, a number of documentaries uh, on the citizens' hearing on disclosure, which um, were a lot of government and political figures talking about government, military, political, and science figures talking about what they personally knew about the subject and their personal I, was, involvement I, was, I, was, I must with say,
0: it. I was stunned at some of the incredible people who testified there. Melinda, yes. I cannot thank you enough for being on this special show today i'm just sure. tickled and fascinated by all this and i can't wait to see you and laurian again in a couple of weeks and you will be back on this show often if you would grace us dear
1: oh i i'd love to i i that was really fun and and i love your interview style uh you know that was quite enjoyable and obviously we barely scratch the surface. So, <laughs> I would love Absolutely. to come back. We'll, we'll, have, we'll have a
0: lot to talk about. Again, dear, thank you. Thank you so much. You have a, a wonderful weekend, and I'll be seeing you all in a couple of weeks. All
1: right. I'll see you then.
0: I look forward to it. Okay. Thank you, dear. Bye-bye. And Thanks to all of you. I'm really sorry Joe wasn't here. I just love when he's here because he's got so much to add. Anyway, you all have a wonderful Weekend And as Ed Murray used to say, good night and good luck.
1: You're
0: my spark of nature's fire. You're my sweet, complete desire. A sunny, 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 sunny.
1: I love you.